So I wonder if you can think to a time when you've experienced a good thing that has symbolized or been a foretaste of something even better. Maybe it's the smell of something delicious being cooked. Uh, maybe it's a roast dinner in the oven, a stew in the slow cooker, which smells great and is good in itself, but doesn't compare to actually sitting down and eating it. Or maybe it's that first day of spring, that first day when you can feel the season changing in the air, when you can feel it's getting warmer. Um, and you know that it's still a long way, to, but you know that it's still a long way until um, you in, can enjoy the summer weather. Or maybe it's doing church like this. It's good to be in person, to see each other, to be physically present. But it'd be so much better when we can meet as a full church family and worship together. So in this passage in front of us, we're going to see how Jesus's actions, even though they're wonderful in themselves, point to something far greater. And in an account of Jesus the healer, the gospel writer gives us a glimpse of Jesus the promised Messiah. So in this passage, we'll see Jesus healing an individual, and then separately, many people. And then Matthew will point us to Isaiah 53, which promises of a suffering servant who will take on all the people's sicknesses. So in just a few verses, we'll see how the scope of Jesus's ministry pans out from healing a single person to being that promised saviour who takes on all our sickness. So the first section uh, is verses 14 and 15, which I've entitled, Jesus heals so that we might serve. So we read that uh, Jesus goes into Peter's house. Jesus arrives and sees Peter's mother-in-law, who is in bed, sick with a fever. Now we don't know how serious this fever was or how long she'd had it for or anything like that. But it was obviously debilitating. It leaves her helpless and out of action. But we see that Jesus touches her hand. And it would have been unusual at that time for a rabbi to touch a woman, especially a sick woman. However, in Matthew's gospel, we see that Jesus often touches the sick. Um, we see earlier in the chapter, in chapter 8, we see Jesus touching the man with leprosy and cleansing him. We see as well in chapter 8 with the centurion servant that Jesus doesn't need to, be doesn't need to touch or even be physically present to bring about healing. And so we see that Jesus chooses to use touch as a means of healing people. It's part of his ministry. And this gives us a glimpse into the compassion of our Saviour, who really comes to people, who meets them where they're at and connects with them. And so for Jesus, we see that compassion is more important than tradition. Love has a higher priority than religious formalism. Jesus demonstrates his power at the same time as his gentleness. And he comes into contact with people. He visibly reaches out to them. And so when we pray, we don't look to an abstract concept or to a disembodied ideal, but to a person, a man who comes to us, who knows us, who understands us, and who cares for us. 
So we see that Peter's mother-in-law is healed. Then she gets up and begins to serve Jesus. She waits on him. Imagine the scene. She's gone from being completely helpless, not able to do anything, to being restored to health so that she can serve Jesus. The change is obvious. And we see that that healing has a purpose. It's interesting how matter-of-fact Matthew is in describing this. He doesn't explain why Peter's mother-in-law served Jesus. It's just completely natural. It's just a natural response to what happened. So Jesus freely gives, he freely heals. He doesn't go to Peter's mother-in-law and say, now that I've healed you, go and make me a cup of tea, go and do this for me. It just happens naturally. And we'll find a few verses later, um, which will be part of the next um, sermon in the series, that there is a cost to following Jesus. But the freedom to follow Jesus is freely given. Jesus heals so that we might serve. Jesus heals people's sicknesses. And ultimately, as we'll come to in the next few verses, he takes on all of our infirmities, including our sin. And so in the same way that Peter's mother-in-law is free from her illness and serves Jesus, so we, can, so we can be free from our sin to follow Jesus. Um, and it's also interesting to note that Peter's mother-in-law is totally incapable of serving or doing anything for Jesus before Jesus heals her. She could do nothing without Jesus first coming to her. And I'm sure many of us will have experienced a feeling of incapacity at some point in our lives. Maybe it's just for a day or two. Think back to a time when you've been sick or had flu or something like that, where you just can't get out of bed, you can't focus on anything or do anything. And so we also need to be aware of our complete incapacity to serve Christ without him first ministering to us, without him first changing our hearts. Because without Christ, we can do nothing of any ultimate value. Now we aren't made completely sinless, or for that matter, always completely healed. But if you are a follower of Christ, you have been forgiven and enter into a new life where it is possible to serve Jesus. And so the ways Jesus frees us to serve him aren't always outwardly dramatic. Often there isn't a sudden transformation, but instead it's the slow work of the Spirit changing us from the inside. But it's important to note that through this we are transformed. We are renewed in small ways so that we can serve. An example that comes to mind for me of this um, was when I was serving on a short-term mission trip um, about 10 years ago. Uh, so there was someone on that team who I found really annoying and just didn't get on well with. Um, and kind of, I was aware of this and kind of repented and asked God to change my heart in this matter to get on better with this, with this person. Um, and God did change my heart and we ended up on getting together much better. Um, and that was good for the outreach that we were on as well. Um, but then after that, uh, we'd kind of stayed in touch um, and I had uh, left to go to China, um, where I kind of felt called to serve uh, for a while. And 
when I first arrived out, I was quite isolated. Um, and I felt called to go there for kind of, um, to serve God, but I felt there was nothing I could do. Um, but it was this person who I'd been working on um, that outreach with previously, who um, got me in contact with the church out there, um, who I was able to serve through and made just a huge impact for what I was able to do um, there in China. And so it was just amazing to see God use this person specifically to turn the situation I was in around. And so at the beginning, I'd prayed for a small work in my heart, but God had brought about something far greater, with far greater impact. So we're now gonna take a closer look at verse 16, where we see that Jesus has authority over sickness and spiritual power. So we read that people who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus when evening came. Mark and Luke's account of this event say that it was at or after sunset. I think there's a small hint there that there was some sort of stigma attached for those people to feel that they had to wait until it was getting dark to be brought to Jesus. Yet we see that Jesus heals them, no problem at all. There is nothing too scary or dark or difficult for him. And the same is true for us. No matter how dark and secret we think our sin is, Jesus will not hide from it. He has the power to forgive and to heal. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail about demon possession here, other than point out um, that in the Bible, demon possession and mental ill health are presented as different things. Um, and what this passage illustrates for us is that Jesus has the power and authority over not only uh, physical illness, but also spiritual power. And we see later in chapter 8 that Jesus calms the storm, showing his power over the natural world as well. And so Matthew is essentially highlighting Jesus' mastery over the whole created order. We also see that Jesus drives out the spirits with a word. And there are no magical formulas or special rites. We just see a simple command, a simple display of authority. Jesus also heals all who are ill. There are no limits to his power or to his compassion. There is nothing too dark or shameful for him to defeat. We see that Jesus, the word of God, triumphs over evil simply with the power of his word. The one who created the world by his word became incarnated within it. He then restores and recreates it with his word. I also want to highlight here that people are described as being brought to Jesus in verse 16. And sometimes, often I think, we're blind to our own sin and weaknesses and need people we trust to bring us to Christ. So can I encourage each other to be accountable with each other, with friends and spouses and home groups? We need to give our brothers and sisters permission to lovingly bring us to Christ when they see infirmity within us. And when sharing something difficult in my life, I often find it helpful to be pointed to Christ, to be asked, have you taken that to God? Do you trust him? 
And it's worth noting that Jesus also works through healing administered by medical professionals. Um, it's not just miraculous healings that we're talking about here. So think about a time when Jesus worked in your life, no matter how big or small. Think about how he changed you, how he made you trust him. We see that Jesus does not hide from our sin or our sickness. He doesn't ignore it. He knows, he cares. And ultimately, as we'll see in verse 17, he took it all to the cross. So I encourage you, whether for the first or 500th time, take your sickness to Jesus. Don't try and solve it alone with your own strength. Jesus has the power and co compassion to transform us. And so even if the sin on, or sickness on the surface does not go away in this life, Jesus will be doing a great work in you, transforming your heart to be more like him, to take part in his story. And so we come to the last verse in the passage, and my final point for us today. Take heart in the suffering servant who takes on our infirmities. One of Matthew's purposes in writing his account of Jesus's ministry was to demonstrate that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And we see that Matthew references Isaiah particularly often. It's around 10 direct quotations throughout the gospel. And what we have before us is one of them. And for Matthew, Jesus's miracles are about more than the acts of power themselves but about what they demonstrate. It's interesting that the miracles in the passage and also elsewhere in Matthew, um, we see that they're described very briefly. Um, it's almost as if Matthew is saying that there's, there's more to come, that those miracles aren't the real deal, but something greater is ahead. It's almost like they're a fragrant aroma, a foretaste of something better. So imagine that you have a Jewish background and you're reading Matthew's account for the first time, maybe a few years after it was written. And yeah, um, yeah, think about what impact that would have. Um, you've heard that Jesus um, was a healer. Um, and so, and so, but then you read the um, Isaiah reference um, and Matthew makes that clear claim that Jesus is the promised Messiah. It demands a response. And so the passage Matthew cites is of course that great messianic prophecy in Isaiah 53. It tells of God's promised servant who will take up our sin and bear the punishment that we deserve. So there is debate over whether Matthew and Isaiah refer to both physical or spiritual suffering. Um, but my view is that they point to both. So the original word translated as infirmities can refer to both physical weakness and to moral failure. In a sense, it's a summary of our fallen human condition, our helplessness. Also, um, if we look at Matthew 4.23 and 9.35, um, they which essentially provide us summaries of Jesus' ministry. 
They both read that Jesus was uh, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So we see that Jesus's healing ministry is linked with proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And part of proclaiming the good news also included inviting people to repent of their sin. And so we see that Jesus transforms the whole person. Healing physical sickness is symbolic of the deeper work that he does in people's hearts. And in verse 15, we saw that as Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law, we saw in a small way, close up even, of the way that he took disease upon himself. Jesus reached out at risk to himself, both his health and reputation. And we see um, in verse 17, how that points to the cross. And we see how Jesus ultimately takes on our infirmities on himself. And so the healing that happened earlier in the passage demonstrates Jesus's authority and is a foretaste of his greater authority as the promised Messiah. And I think the thrust of the passage is that not only does Jesus heal and have authority, but his healing has a purpose. So when we come to Jesus, when we're brought to Jesus, when we come acknowledging our weakness and infirmities, our sickness and sin, that we can do nothing without him, it's at that point that Jesus invites us to take part in his story. And so just as the, the Isaiah 53 reference points to Jesus's ultimate mission, showing that he was the promised Messiah. So when Jesus heals and forgives and works in our hearts, when he changes us, he's calling us to be part of his plan for redemption. We can tell of this good news to others. And so the story goes on till it culminates in the new heavens and the new earth, where there is no more mourning or sadness or sickness or pain. So whatever you're going through, look to Jesus. Know that you're part of his plan, his bigger plan for the redemption of all who call on him. Look to his kingdom. He is bigger than the suffering. He is greater than the healing or even the lack of healing. He has promised to be with us now through the spirit and to lead us into truth. And he has promised to make all things new ultimately. So I want to ask you, what could God be doing through your life, through bringing about healing, whether that is physical healing or spiritual healing? And if you're praying for change in your life, are you seeking the change just for yourself or for the impact that it could have on others? So know that Jesus cares for you and has the power to heal your weaknesses, but also know that he calls you to something greater, to be part of his glorious plan. And when we pray for healing, we should also be seeking his glory and renown. Do you share what God has done in your life with others? Do you see God's work in your life as part of the fulfillment of scripture? A fulfillment which was earned through his suffering on a cross. That's what he endured for us and that's how much he cares. So let's come to him with our burdens because he has paid the price. Know that Jesus will work out something greater beyond our situation 
to benefit others. So in wrapping everything together, I want to encourage us to take heart in our Saviour, who takes on all our infirmities, who has the authority to, tran to transform our suffering. Take heart in Jesus, that his work on the cross demonstrates his love and breaks the power of sin and death, freeing us to glorify him and take part in his story of redemption.